close range. We hear this. What struck me was, as I looked down, actually in the quarry, there were these three very dark figures. That one in the middle stood there like a, like a statue. These two on either side of the big one were rocking back and forth, side to side. This is the Cryptic Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Todd. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man. How you doing? Great. I'm excited about this show, man. It's a big one. As always, we have a special guest this time, uh, kind of a popular guy in the Bigfoot world, a very popular guy, Todd Neese. Well-known guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's a military background, and and, uh, he's had some experiences, and he's a speaker at a lot of shows. He's been a ton of podcasts. We're finally getting on on him on ours, and it's going to be some good good stuff for these guys. So That's right, man. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, me too. trying to connect with Todd for a while. We have. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So let's not waste any time, man. Let's just bring him on, okay? No, yeah, we'll get right into it. All right, here we go. Todd, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be here. We appreciate yeah, it. we've been trying to get you on for a while. We finally finally got connected. Yeah. You're a busy man. I try to be. We were looking over your bio that you sent. Um, you've got an extensive... Uh, basically yeah. full-time military background. Um, you had an encounter while in the military. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've been, you've been involved in investigating um, what we call Bigfoot Sasquatch for over 28 years, it appears like that. Is that correct? That's, that is correct, yes. And you're from the Pacific Northwest, specifically around the Mount Hood area. I read that too, right? Yes, I live actually in the Mount Hood National Forest. Okay. I've spent some time up there. It's pretty cool up there for sure. Very dense forest, very dense forestry up there for sure. Mm-hmm. But you've also co-founded, it says, the American Primate Conserv- uh, Conservancy. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, in uh, 2015, um, uh, my wife and I established the Conservancy. It was really a combination of, of both of our uh, endeavors. She had uh, hominid. Uh, stocking hominid research. I had American primate, uh, uh, what I call it back then, American primate. Uh, gosh, I can't even remember, uh, but it wasn't conservancy. Anyway, we decided we would get together and and just combine our efforts. We both have been researching for many years. In fact, she's researched more than I have, mostly in the in the Florida area. And so in 2015, we just decided let's just uh, combine our our websites and our and our, our endeavors, and uh, so we started the conservancy on the principle of discovery, um, which is obviously already happening. Uh, research, knowledge, recognition, and ultimately uh, protection for these uh, this species. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's pretty. You've, you've spoken at a lot of conventions. Um, you've been a, a guest on a lot of podcasts, and uh, we also thank you for coming on to ours. Um, 
So you've done a lot of a lot of talking in, about this subject. Um, what do you think? Do you think the existence of Bigfoot's ever going to be proven, Todd? Do you think there's some going on there that kind of helps cover this up? You've been in the military. I, I don't want to throw this at you so quick, but do you think there's some government cover up here? Well, yeah, yes and no. Um, uh, to get to your original question, um, I, I, I do think it is, it's inevitable uh, that they're going to be uh, recognized because, like I say, they're being discovered quite often, a lot more often than most people outside the circles you and I travel in, um, literally over 100 times a year. Um, but there's the stigma of um, ridicule that goes along with that. And so we figure about it, one out of 10 actually come forward. So who knows how many sightings are actually happening out there, but uh, it, it's just a matter of time. We believe that. And to what extent we can have some sort of control over that uh, we'd like to. Um, and part of that is, is trying to establish some uh, legal protections for them. And uh, in that vein um, i'm working on a an initiative uh uh called the uh, uh the um, native american or first nations uh protection initiatives uh, people have tried many times both in the u.s and canada to try to get these protections enacted and we kind of think they're going about it the wrong way. I think I think the proper way to do it is to work with the tribes. Uh, it's part of their culture. Uh, and let's face it, we've been in this area, when I say we, I mean Westerners, if you will, for a little over 300 years. And they've been living uh, symbiotically with these creatures for over 19,000 years. So I think it stands to reason that they are uh, much more aware of these. And that's why it's part of their culture. And so um, we think in working with the tribes, it'll be a little easier sell. It, it, it not only protects the animals, but it, it uh, also uh, supports their cultural beliefs and whatnot. And where they have uh, autonomy on their reservations, they can pass those laws uh, within, at least within the boundaries of the reservation. So I'm working with five tribes right now. Um, across the country, including Alaska, uh, to get these initiatives going. And once they do, I think they'll catch on. Um, and then I think down the road, you know, when we have a couple hundred different tribes and reservations across North America to include Canada, it's just, uh, it makes it a whole lot easier to sail to go to, uh, say, the Department of the Interior, who runs the Forest Service and Fish and Wildlife and whatnot, and try to get something passed. Because you know, we'll already have established something at least uh, throughout the, the the continent with these tribes. Uh, as far as government cover-ups concerned, uh, I think I think a good example of uh, that kind of I wouldn't call it secrecy, but uh, we just recently have seen the government come forward with uh, Project Blue Book. And some of the um, some of the encounters that the military has had with um, UFOs, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. I think I think they're they're going to hold on hold back on some of these items until they feel it's it's just uh, close to be 
coming to the to the truth. And I think the same thing is with with these uh, these creatures. And the, uh, my opinion is they they've got to put things on a scale. They certainly the government knows everything we know. Right. Um, the question is why are they not coming forward with it? And I think as a as a leader um, of, of any country, really, uh, one has to ask. Uh, what are the consequences, whether we come forward with it or we don't. And that's really the choices. That they, that they, it comes down to those two choices. And I think they just put it on a scale and say, look, um, if we don't say anything, then we leave it up to uh, the public to go about trying to find their own answers. And maybe they'll find some that, that, that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if we put it out there, as a known fact that the government is aware of it, um, there there stands a good chance that there would be a number of really negative, if not dangerous, uh, reactions that that may come from that. So I, you know, when you put it on a scale and you weigh those consequences, it just probably seems more appropriate for them to uh, let this sit under the radar for now. Right. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, before we go any further, I want to thank you for your service. Um, so you were in the Iraq War, and um, he says you were in, um, so received numerous honors from the U.S. Army, and uh, where you served for 21 years. So I appreciate that, and we thank you very much. Yeah, um, my pleasure. So, Todd, you had your encounter when uh, you were in the military. Um, what made you get into the military? Well, um, my father was uh, served in the Army. Um, uh, he was uh, actually deployed to Korea. Uh, and it was just something that I thought should be sustained in the family. Um, I, I love my country. And uh, initially, I got in as a, a National Guardsman so here in, here in Oregon so that um, I was a traditional guardsman, as people I'm sure are aware of. Is you you do training one week in the month, a couple of weeks in the summer, but you still have your Monday through Friday nine to five job. Um, at the time, I was a, uh, a vice president of a shipping company and raising a family, and uh, so I, I just I, I chose to go in on the enlisted side as a combat engineer. And uh, for those of your audience aren't aware what we do, uh, our mission is mobility, counter-mobility, which means that we try to deny the enemy passage, uh, whatever route they're trying to take, and whether that be destroying a road or a bridge or putting in a tank ditch or wire obstacles or, or minefields. That's what we did. And mobility, just the opposite. If, if we run into such obstacles, it was our job to get ahead of the movement element and uh, a lot of that, as you can imagine, involves explosives. And so uh, I did that for six years, uh, from 89 to 2006. And uh, we were actually practicing demolition training on that day, April 3rd, 1993. Uh, we were in the coast range uh, in, the, in the very northwest corner of Oregon, uh, near, the, near a town of Seaside. I've been to and, Seaside before. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, so basically between Seaside and Saddle Mountain is all private-owned timber uh, timberland. And we had special permission to get in there one weekend a year to do so, some major explosions. Uh, they had a number of gravel quarries uh, throughout their their property that we would use to do different types of, of missions, if you will. Um, that particular day, I remember we had three three different missions. We had uh, the first site we did cutting charges where we would use plastic explosives to uh, cut steel I-beams, uh, similar to what we'd do with uh, taking out a bridge. Um, and then the second site, I recall, was a, a minefield that we had to clear a path through using, again, C4. And, um, and then the third and last site was a cratering charge. And uh, again, to simulate blowing a road in half um, to where it couldn't be used. And we had set the fuses on that last uh, explosive, uh, about 250 pounds of ammonium nitrate that we had been soaking in diesel fuel for about three hours. And we got up there, we set the fuses, we, we uh, initiated them, and obviously our SOP at that time is to uh, get the heck out of there. So uh, we got aboard, we had four vehicles there, two Humvees in the lead, uh, troop transport in, as third vehicle, and the fourth one was a commander's vehicle bringing up the rear. I happened to be a passenger in that second Humvee sitting directly behind the driver. And it was an unusually nice day for the coast, uh, the coast uh, weather uh, in April. And so having hunted that area pretty extensively around Saddle Mountain, uh, it was just natural for me to be looking about the countryside, always trying to spot deer or elk or whatever I could see. And so as our convoy rounded this corner, the second blast site came into full view, uh, some six or 700 feet away. And what struck me was, as I looked down, actually in the quarry, there were these three very dark figures and just something didn't seem right about it. I mean, the, my first thought was, what the heck are those people doing down there? Because you can imagine the security that we use the safety oh, yeah. measures That's when we're doing this. Off. We got to, yeah, we, we had to block off all any roads going in there, even though they were locked off. We couldn't risk having people uh, getting hurt. Uh, but that, that thought didn't last very long because the more I looked at these things, and I had a very, I think, uh, extensive view, about 25 seconds uh, of, of an uninterrupted view. How far away were you and, from these guys when you saw them? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't one of these three to five seconds something ran across the road in front of me things. I mean, 25 seconds doesn't seem like a lot in the in the long run, but if you just stare at your watch no, yeah, for 25 it does. seconds, it's quite a while. <laughs> How but far away were these Were these? They were between six and seven hundred feet away. Okay, and you say they were um, near the the second or the last blast site. So no, they were the last blast site was still cooking off behind us. This okay. was the one that we had detonated about an hour earlier. Okay, and uh, I'm looking at these figures, and something just didn't add up. Uh, not only 
the fact that they were dark black and they, they were not wearing any clothing uh, that would have been easy enough to see from that distance but their their profile was uh, nothing like a human profile uh, by that i mean the the head sat squarely on the shoulders with no real visible neck i mean if you could imagine the traps just starting below the ears and going straight out to the shoulders I mean, these things look like like bodybuilders, all all three of them. They and they stood three in a row, uh, facing us, watching our convoy come down the hill, um, barrel-chested. Uh, uh, you could see a taper down to the waist, and then uh, and then these long pendulous arms that extended below their knees, and uh, that, that wasn't right. And the legs well uh, were well out of proportion for humans as well, much longer than ours. But it was the activity that they were involved in that, that really struck me. And it was uh, the one in the middle, the one is the tallest of the three stood there like a statue, but it was these, uh, these two on either side that flanked the larger one. Uh, and they were not small by any means. Uh, I figure maybe about seven feet tall. Uh, again, while that one in the middle stood there like a, like a statue, these two on either side of the big one were rocking back and forth, side to side, looked like they were like shifting their weight from one foot to the other and, in the, and just kind of doing this action. And, and uh, in the process, these, these long arms are swinging back and forth in front of their knees. And they exhibited that behavior the entire 25 seconds I watched them. And uh, and then 25 seconds elapsed. We we turned another corner, and I lost sight of them. And and uh, to be honest with you, I was I was in shock. Um, you have to understand, I did not believe in these things whatsoever. Uh, and, and you know, you can't grow up in the Pacific Northwest without hearing stories of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. But I'd kind of uh, relegated it to. Uh, uh, a scary campfire story kind of thing, uh, a legend, but but not so much true. And, and um, well, I'd just say uh, that that event, that 25 seconds, was an epiphany that uh, it's changed my life ever since. It's just it's just amazing to think 25 seconds and the entire course of my future changed. Wow! Yeah. Did uh, did the other guys see him? So nobody in the convoy that I'm aware of saw them. Uh, what's interesting, though, is we had a separate group that would stay one site ahead of us. They would actually prep the site. They would they would drop off the I-beams, and then they'd go to the next site and set up these training anti-tank training mines that we had to then go up and, and breach a lane through them. And then they went up to the third site and dug... Uh, uh, a starting hole, if you will, for the cratering charge. So amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. We were split kind of in, in two parties, if you will. 
they were down at the safety staging area where we would drive to and and wait out for, wait the explosion out and and then from there we would go back and check our work and when we got down to that staging area i wasn't it, it didn't seem like it was that far back from where i had seen them so i just instinctively ran back up the road as far as i dared try to get a, a view and i we we have a rule it's a 100 percent integrity everybody's accounted for you have to be you can't have people missing so I could only go so far, and, and unfortunately, you know, I strained. I had my hand up to my head. I'm on my tiptoes. There was there was this dang hill that just was obscuring my view of of the uh, the gravel quarry. But while I was standing there trying to look off in the distance, I heard somebody yell out my name, and I looked to my right, and here comes uh, Sergeant Martin. And he yells out, what are you looking at? And I drop my hands to my side. I go, oh, nothing. And uh, Jeff continued to come up to me. I remember he was smoking on a cigarette. And he he comes up and and says, I, he says, I wonder if you might have seen what I saw down at that second blast site. And I wasn't going to say it, you know. I, I said, I don't know, Jeff. What did you see? And he, he 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 took a drag off his cigarette and he looked left and right to make sure nobody else was in earshot. And he said, Well, I saw three huge hair-covered Bigfoot, I guess. And of course, at that, uh, I said, Yeah, I saw him too, Jeff. The, you know, amazing you know and and jeff works his oh. nine to five job was working in the woods uh when he wasn't training with the military and he'd never seen him before either so that was you know it was nice to have that that uh, uh confirmation that somebody else had seen what i saw but frankly it wasn't necessary uh, I can't see, I can't unsee what I saw that day. And, and, you know, if I close my eyes, it's, it's as if I was still there. I mean, I, I can see them clear as can be. Did you, um, uh, go ahead. Did you happen to have any, um, see any detail of the face, Todd at all? I know it was, at, it was at quite far away. It was, yeah, Did you make out male or female make... or anything like that? Or no, I assume they were all male just because of their build but again i'm only getting a uh, uh forward-facing profile from them but uh just you know when i compare it to uh, one female that i think we're all familiar with uh, uh the one they call patty from the yep. uh, 67 uh, right. patterson gimlin footage you know she was quite obviously uh female uh, uh, I did not see any sort of uh, breasts, if you will, on on these three. Like uh, my, my guess is they they were somewhat of a scouting party that um, came out to investigate why we were blowing up their world. You know, I mean these were very large explosions that made huge mushroom clouds and 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 minor earthquake, if you will. So um, they were curious enough uh, to to overcome the fear that you would imagine any other animal out there would be going right. 360 degrees in any direction. Think. And, and that's, I think that's important to note because 
curiosity in and of itself, especially when most animals are going to react negatively to, to something like that, curiosity is strong enough uh, even to overcome that sort of anxiety tells me that these things are, are intelligent. Uh, oh, yeah. Curiosity is, is a form of intelligence. They want to know things. And uh, so they were over to, able to overcome that, and they, they came around to check it out. So I wanted it, to add, if I could, yeah. um, the next uh, training or drill, as we call it, would have been in May. And when May's drill came around, uh, we had two more soldiers come forward, independent of each other, and also admitted to seeing the, the exact same number, same description as Jeff and I had. So it's a, it's a rather unique sighting in so much as uh, multiple animal sightings are fairly rare. Uh, they're, they're not impossible, but most, most sightings are single individuals. Uh, multiple eyewitnesses uh, are fairly rare, especially uh, in combination with the, the number of animals involved. And then certainly the, the nature of what we were doing uh, just makes this particular encounter uh, uh, very unique. So there are four of you that saw those three creatures that day. Yeah, that's that you correct. know of. That I know of, yeah, good point. And did anyone tell your um, superior officers about that? or? No, I certainly didn't. And uh, I was uh, very concerned about going public about it initially. I'm not, I was not only a, you know, a family man and, a, and a, an executive, but a non-commissioned officer in the military. And, you know, I... I did kind of wonder if the word would get out and they'd get back to me. I mean, over the years, obviously, especially with the uh, the uh, different uh, television shows, documentaries, uh, and uh, public appearances I've been on, it, it's it has gotten around the the military side, and, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, they've kind of uh, gotten used to it, I guess. Uh, they they kind of patronize me, I guess, if you will. But uh, I don't know. I've actually had a few uh, uh, talk to me at length, uh, very serious, and and uh, you know, people are curious, no matter what your profession. Oh, yeah. You had said before you saw these things. You were you were really a non-believer, and you grew up in the Pacific Northwest. You would think you had seen or heard of someone who had already had an encounter, but had that happened before? Had you had any kind of interaction? Um, concern about knew anybody that said they saw Bigfoot before you had no, your encounter? Actually, I hadn't. I, I hadn't picked up a single book on the subject. Uh, I, I've never watched any of the the TV programs that were out uh, before that. Um, I, I would. I let's just say I was kind of agnostic, if you will. I I didn't know if they exist. Uh, I didn't really believe they exist, but I uh, frankly I, I I had no interest in the subject at all. So. Um, I was uh, I was initiated somewhat involuntarily, if you will. But uh, yeah. I, in hindsight, I, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, it's it's taken me on a, a, a wonderful journey that very few people get to do, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a great adventure. Yeah, you you seem to jump gung ho into this this uh, this thing after after this. Um... What do you think? Well, I I had to make a decision, uh, Brian. It was, it was like, 
you know, I, I kind of had to put things on a scale and say, do I, you know, I've seen something historically and scientifically important. Uh, something needs to be said about it, but do I want to be the one? And, uh, and the consequences to me were a little intimidating, you know, um, people who knew me personally and have known me for years, they're known, they know I'm not apt to, I'm not prone to go out and make up crazy stories like that. Um, and then publicly, you know, I just, I got to a point where I said, you know what, if I don't talk about this and I know about this, it's almost as if I'm, I'm, I'm being deceitful about it. And so I, one day I just said, you know, uh, there's got to be a purpose. There has to be a reason that someone like me was chosen to see what I saw. Um, you know, I could have been looking the other direction. I could have been engaged with uh, the other passengers, uh, you know, but this, this was like winning the lottery, I guess, when it comes to this sort of thing. And, and so I've looked for that purpose uh, ever since, and I, I, I firmly believe that we're going the right direction with the uh, the mission statement of the Conservancy. That I want to make sure that that my grandchildren and great grandchildren have at least as as good of a chance of experiencing what I've experienced. And, uh, you know, frankly, we don't know what the health of the species is. We, there's a lot we don't know about the species, but the key things, uh, you know, population obviously being, being one, but, but what was, what was their population a hundred years ago compared to today or a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago? Is it declining? Is it increasing? It could be either way, but, um, Things like what, what sort of habitat do they require? Every animal has to have a certain type of habitat and food resources. You know, are we out there destroying that? Uh, uh, and and uh, as a result, affecting the the health of the species? I don't know. Those those are questions we need to know. Yeah. How long do yeah. they live? How many offspring do they have? Do they have a mating uh, season, or are they like us? That's you know, those are those are, are all good questions, and and you know, I hear people say all the time, "I'll oh, just leave them alone; they're doing fine without us." Just, you know, but that's kind of an ignorant approach, if you ask me. You know, I've studied extinction, and uh, it, it's part of nature, but and it happens all the time. Um, but when you go back and study things, you know, animals that we knew about in the 16, 17. 18, even into the 20th century, uh, we have photographs of animals that we knew and proved to exist that are they're gone. They're just gone. They'll, they'll never be back. And, uh, you know, extinction is not really defined so much as the death of the last of a species because there there is a, such a thing as functional extinction. And when you get uh numbers down below you know 300 left in the population well then you run into all kinds of of issues with interbreeding uh and genetic defects and and effects on the immune system and you know you get to a tipping point um even with with 
several hundred left that they are functionally extinct as a species. And I, I just, right. uh, I just feel that that's my purpose is, is to prove they exist. Not, not so much as uh, for my own sake, but for theirs. Right. Yeah. You can tell that you've done uh, a lot of talking in podcasts cause you just answered about five of my questions within one, within about <laughs> two, two minutes. So, um, oh, okay. but, but no, yeah, that's, that, that's great. What do you think about Bigfoot, Todd? Do you think this thing is, um, do you think this is an ape? Do you think this is a, a lot of people say they kind of look like humans. Do you think these things look like more like apes that you saw? Did they look, did they look like a caveman type thing? Did it, was there any human features to these things that you could tell? Well, initially, uh, initially I was, I kind of fell into the, the theory that these were, um, Something along the lines of, of, of a, a very unique great ape, if you will, or possibly a descendant of the Gigantopithecus, which we, we know existed in uh, Southeast Asia, and possibly migrated across the Bering Strait uh, when it was called Beringia. And, you know, we know certain animals did make that migration, including humans. But I've, I've really come full circle to where I don't believe they're human, but I do believe they're hominid. Um, so what's that mean? They're in the same lineage, uh, like Cro-Magnon or, or Neanderthal. Uh, I think what we're dealing with here, uh, Todd, is it's a, we're dealing with a relic species, a relic hominid species that is somehow uh, through evolution has been able to uh, be robust enough to still exist mm -hmm. and part of that is is their uh, ability to stay hidden um so that's kind of where i come down at i, I don't you know there's something <sighs> why do you I think hate, they can I hate stay to hidden say less <clears throat> less than a human because uh when we think about iq uh IQ doesn't necessarily, uh, it's not just defined as, as uh, knowledge or, or intelligence in terms of, of what we consider intelligence. Uh, they could certainly have a higher IQ than we do, but it's in a whole different category. It's, a, it's in a, a natural category. They, I'm sure they can uh, run circles around us. That's uh, probably how they stay hidden. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, do you think these things, uh, you know, our theory is, or my theory is, I always talk about the cave. Do you think they live in caves a lot? Do you think that's how they stay out of sight? Or do you think they're more interdimensional? Do you think there's some something like that going on? I don't want to go down that road, but... I just saw that head shake. Everybody has to talk about it. What's... Why... No, that's a, it's a fair question. Um, I am one that, that, that believes that, that these... Uh, they're very unique. Uh, they have um, certainly some qualities to them that some I've just only recently discovered that kind of kind of could fall into that whole what we call the woo factor. You know, people that are into the the paranormal aspects of these things. I'm trying to find scientific answers 
to exactly what people are seeing and how how they might misinterpret uh, it as some magical paranormal um, uh, behavior. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at is the uh, the very real possibility that these uh, the species has uh, some people would call it a, an ability to cloak. I don't. I, I think that's you know what's cloaking, right? Uh, what I think is they have an extremely unique form of camouflage and and know how to put it to work. Know how it how you know obviously just looking at each other, uh, learning from each other um, how to employ this. Uh, I have seen some hair samples uh, under microscope that are quite startling. Um, one in particular that I've got several photos of, the there's a, you can imagine a clump of hair, a sample of hair under a microscope backlit with white light. And I was really surprised to see that a, a number of the hairs in that sample, perhaps a third of them were actually translucent, clear shafts of hair where if there were other dark hairs underneath it, you could literally see the dark hairs underneath it through this translucent hair, similar to fishing line or what I like to, uh, what I'm experimenting with is fiber optic uh, wire. Um, I've bought about a thousand feet of it. And I'm thinking, you know, similar to what some dogs have guard hairs that uh, are a kind of separate layer, if you will. Um, if this species has clear shafts of hair intermixed within their their uh, their hair, then I would think that that hair, similar to fiber optics, would actually absorb both the the natural light and colors that are surrounding them, and in doing so, would literally make them appear to kind of blur out a little bit especially if they're not moving. Uh, it would be the ultimate camouflage. So I'm planning on purchasing some uh, either real or synthetic uh, hair and taking some photos of it in different positions in, 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 the, in the forest, different lighting conditions, and then infusing that height, if you will, with hundreds, if not thousands of um, fiber optic cables and and then repeating the experiment again in different lighting uh, scenarios. Uh, but I, I, I would think that the fiber optic or the clear hair would absorb and transmit uh, the, the the light and color that surrounds it. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm working on currently. Uh, I'll have to tell you something, though, and, I, and I, I don't think I've really talked about it much on any podcast, but it, it was an amazing, it was an amazing experience um, where I had been invited to, of all places, Nebraska uh, by the Omaha Nation to come out to their reservation and go out in the field and 
do some exploring and they had some things they wanted to show me. Uh, I had seen, I'd been in touch with them for a couple of years and I had seen video uh, that was hard for me to swallow. Um, you hear people talk about eye shine is what most people refer to it as. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things I'd have to see to believe. Well, I am here to tell you for five nights in a row, we'd go out from between midnight and three o'clock in the morning to a certain couple different places actually, where my native friend would We'd shut off all the lights. There's absolutely no ambient light, no street lights. We didn't have any flashlights or anything. And he would call to them in his native language. Uh, he would uh, yell out, Aho, Gigo, uh, what do you say? Aho, uh, Kage, which means hello, friend. And then he'd say, Gigoho, which means come closer. And I'll be damned, guys, if, if I did not see eyes light up in the dark less than a hundred feet less than a hundred feet away Just got chills <laughs> oh I, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around it and I intend to get to wow. the bottom of it again through some sort of scientific means I mean we're talking not projected light okay I mean that would be antithetical to, to being able to see I mean you, you didn't have basic, flashlights you, you didn't nope. have no, wow. absolutely no. I expect we made, we insisted on it. And a few seconds later, a second set of lights would, would come on our eyes. And it's at certain times we had up to three of them and wow. you could see, you could see them move. You could see them blink. Um, they were kind of whitish blue. Sometimes they were really bright at times and they did change color to some extent. They we'd see them go kind of like orange to red even. And you know they'd they'd blink off and and he'd keep talking and suddenly there they'd come back on again and you could see them come closer to you. They'd move down the hill toward us at times and then they'd, they'd back off. There's no traffic out there. Again, this was the height of the COVID uh, scare and they had actually locked down the the main town there on the reservations called Macy and they had armed guards at the all the entrances and exits and wow. only because of my my friend's uh, stature in the council were we allowed to be out after 10 o'clock so i mean that that just you know for me it was like you know initially i had to ask myself am i being hoaxed you know but there's no way and not after five nights and then we we have one night we weren't getting a whole lot of activity so we moved to a, another place four or five miles away and we literally had to drive through a, a, a field uh way out in the boondocks uh, and uh, again we got uh the same reaction after being there only a few minutes in fact i had asked my my native friend i said have you ever just tried walking up to him and he looked at me like i was crazy and he goes hell no <laughs> And I'm like, hold my beer. And I just started walking very slowly down this road. It was fall. It was just in October. I got these leaves crunching under my feet and there is nothing, no light at all in front of me, except these two glowing eyes down this road. 
and I got about halfway to it before before it just just walked off. But uh, and then we had oh. one on that same night. We had one circle around and try to get behind us. Could you but judge? It, uh, could you judge a height by the eyes? In pitch blackness, it's it's that's yeah, really tough because to there's no that. point of reference. Right. Although I did go back there uh, uh, about three days into it, I did go back there in the uh, in the daytime to in, just kind of investigate this ridge that that we were seeing them on. Um, they were big, I can tell you that much. Um, but it wasn't just I shine alone. I have to tell you, we had a, a number of vocalizations that came out of the dark along with them. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you hear any vocals or any smells, anything like that? No smells, um, but the vocalizations were extremely varied. The, the, one of the first ones I heard sounded, I, I, I want to say it was a female because uh, I call her the singer because she came out with this really high-pitched um, song, I guess. I don't know. It changed in tone. It, was, it would be five to six seconds long, very loud. It would change in tone and volume and then stop. Five or ten seconds would pass and she would start up again hmm. and and sing that exact same chorus again. And she did this four times in in a in a in about a minute. I wish I would have had it on record. Uh but it was I have to tell you guys, it was really beautiful. It, it I was wow. it was not scary at all. Um and there was absolutely nothing that I'm aware of that can make that sort of a, a sound, and especially at that mm -hmm. volume. Uh, another time I have to tell you was really, really fascinating. I think it was uh, the third night we were out there. We weren't we weren't getting quite as much activity as we did the first two nights. And my my friend, who's quite religious. He said, "You know, I'm going to do something. I haven't done this in a long time, but I'm going to I'm going to try something." He said, "I'm going to pray for them. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to see if I can pray with them." And sometimes I get some uh, response, and I'm like, "You know, what the heck? I'll try anything." So, so he calls out to them. It's like, "Oh, okay. I want to pray for you and your family, for your your safety, your happiness, and your health. I want to pray to our Creator. And if you want to come forward." please do so. Please come forward as I pray and speak with our creator. And he starts this prayer. That was all in English. And we had our heads down, you know, it's just, okay. Okay. So about halfway through this three minute prayer from very close range, we hear this. And it did it four times, and I'm I'm trying to keep my head down. I, I'm like, I'm, I swear it was 60 feet away, um, and it did this, and I'm I'm toning it down. I don't want to blow your speakers out, but it did this four times in about 12 seconds. Wow! Very loud. This started low and then crescendoed up, and I and then then stopped, and he went on and finished his prayer, and I. I looked at him, I go, dude, was that them? And he, he goes, yep. He said, that was them. He says, I even think I know that one. I've heard him before. Wow. Uh, so, um, 
had it not been for the vocalizations, it would have been a whole lot, a uh, whole tougher sell for me. Um, when I went out there in the daylight, um, I had the singer give me one verse, uh, and I knew they were still active. I thought they wouldn't be active during the day, but as I'm walking back to the car, uh, from the a complete opposite direction, I heard six very rapid fire uh, tree knocks, I suppose. It sounded like wood on wood. Well, it sounded like two guys with baseball bats just slamming them together, wooden baseball bats. But it was I've I've heard tree knocks. It was usually like onesie twosie stuff, and this was a six very loud, rapid successive knocks. Uh, and I obviously got the heck out of there. But now, so, you know, I don't, I can't remember if it was Brian, you, Brian, or, or Todd that was asking me earlier about how many sightings I've had or encounters. Um, it was me. Uh, uh, other than, other than 1993. Um, Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd have to say that I would qualify what I experienced in on the Omaha reservation as a visual encounter. Oh, for sure. uh, but, but that, those are the only two, um, uh, incidences I should say, but I've had smell encounters. I've had one smell encounter and trust me, that's enough. Um, I've heard that uh, obviously found a lot of, uh, uh, track evidence and, and, and other such things we've, had I uh, was just up in the uh, an area on the west flank of Mount Hood uh, a little over a week ago. Uh, met up with some other researchers. These folks uh, were right. There's a there's a horse camp on the west side of Mount Hood, and they have horses. and And for the last two years, they've had some amazing experiences up there. Uh, they seem to be very interested in the horses, in fact, and, and probably a little puzzled as to how something as big as an elk lets a human sit on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole domestic. Maybe you know, they're going to try that with the elk next. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, wouldn't that be funny? If you see a big foot right by an, an elk, elk. right? <laughs> right. They say, hey, if they well, can do it. <laughs> well, oh, I'll tell God. you what, I've been to Mount Hood, and I've walked on some trails up there. and I, That forest is so dense. Uh, I told my wife, I said, if you walk off a trail into that forestry for maybe 20, 30 yards and close your eyes and spin around and you can't see that trail, you're done. I mean, it's just amazingly dense, dense forest. People don't understand. Oh, they, they just, they just, rec they just rescued a, a 
14 or 15 year old boy today, thank God he'd been out there for two days. Uh, they found him along the Pacific Crest Trail about three hours ago. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very easy to get turned around, and it's and it's very steep in some places, especially where we were. Um, they get rocks thrown out in the in the middle of nowhere. They'll have rocks thrown out in the trail right in front of them. Um, they've they've heard voices uh, that aren't human, um, chatter, uh, different different sounds that. Uh, in fact, one night I was out there. I don't know. Do, if, do you know who Joe Bielard is? I don't think so. Ryan, you know Joe? Uh, Joe yeah. Bielard wrote a book called uh, The Oregon Bigfoot Highway. That was a good friend of mine. He was up there with us. He was actually camping outside of our horse camp on a cot. Uh, and uh, about 2.30 in the morning, I decided to go out there. I've, I've got a, one of these Tascam tape, digital tape recorders that I took out trying to trying to record something and and every every camp in the in the campground was shut down no lights no fires of course you couldn't have fires right now but but everybody was sleeping except for me and i went out to where joe was a few hundred feet from the camp and uh he was sound asleep at the he had a, a, a camp chair there and i sat there and all of a sudden, I start hearing a conversation of sorts coming from the woods. The only thing is, I mean, it was definitely a conversation. The only thing was, it wasn't English, and I don't think it was human. It, but it was definitely two individuals having a um, some sort of a combination in, a, in an extremely bizarre. Um, it, it didn't. Really, what kind of language like did any, it? What kind of language did it sound like closest to? Um, I don't know the, the guy I was with, uh, Gary, uh, has described it as sounding almost Arabic. Um, I don't know that I could put the same description to it, but it was a language, but I don't believe it was any human language. Uh, and it went on for several minutes. I tried to record it, but when I went back and checked, I, I, I didn't quite get it. But that was about the only thing that I, I noticed. They had some more instances when they rode the horses up, up on Zigzag Mountain. Uh, some more trees, or not tree throwing, but uh, rock throwing and whatnot. Uh, last year, Gary, it's an interesting story. Gary rides a electric mountain bike. Uh, he's not much of a horse guy, so the wife would run the horses. She races them in endurance races, uh, sometimes over 100 miles. Wow. And, it, and, and uh, so she takes them up there to train because the steep terrain gives, you know, builds up their strength. So he would follow on his mountain bike, and uh, this, is, this was last year, I believe. And uh, very, very rugged, I mean, I mean, he proceeded to beat him up, beat himself up. He crashed a number of times just trying to make the 14-mile loop. But they get back within uh, oh about a half a mile of the camp, and they had to cross this river. Well, of course, she can ride the horse across the river, no problem. But he had trouble with this really heavy mountain bike, so she got off her horse and helped him get this bike across the this this river. And uh, then they continued toward the camp when she realized that 
she had left her riding crop down by the on the bank of the the river. So she said, "Stay here. I'm just going to ride back down there, grab that crop, and I'll be right back." Well, while he's standing there out in this meadow, this trail goes along this meadow, and the sun had just set, so we're kind of in this twilight area, and he sees this huge figure out in the meadow, and it's doing this rocking back and forth thing, kind of like the ones I saw, and. It's looking straight at him at about 250 feet away, and it's, he says it's huge. He's, he's, they've got two huge uh, uh, Arabian horses, and I mean, like 16 hands high. And and uh, he says, you see, you see the chests on on these horses. These are thousand pound horses. You see the chest on those? He goes, this thing's chest was every bit as big as those horses. Wow. And it's staring at me, rocking back and forth, and all of a sudden it starts moving toward me. And at this time, his wife is, is down the hill getting her riding crop. And, and she confirmed all this. Uh, he started getting freaked out because it's getting dark. He's by himself and this thing's moving in on him. Uh, and just about the time it got about 100, I don't know, 150 feet away, I think he said, he hears his wife galloping up. Well, she wasn't galloping, the horse was, but... Uh, she gets up there and the thing took off and he's like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. He goes, you wouldn't believe what I just saw. And he goes on to describe this, uh, this, this, uh, creature moving in on him. And she looked, looked at him straight in the face and said, Oh, I believe you. She says, I just passed four of them on the way back here. Wow. Four. She said, yeah, just nonchalantly. She go, yeah, there were, there were two up above the trail and two down below the trail. Wow. And she said, I just kept my head straight and kept riding, but they were right there on either side of the trail, about 50 feet away from the trail. So she, he thought he had some great story until she showed up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, I just passed yeah. more of them. That's crazy. Now, do you? Anyway. Well, Todd, we appreciate you coming on and telling all this stuff and your encounter and, and talking about that. What What's your big thing you got planned right now? What are you working on yeah, specifically? Going on? If you can tell us a little bit about that before we wrap the show up today. Uh, wow. Um, I just got picked up for a seventh conference in the next 11 months. That's I'll be cool. spe speaking in Idaho next week at SquatchCon, and then I'll be speaking next month in Arkansas, uh, little town of Mana, Arkansas, northeast Arkansas, or northwest Arkansas, excuse me. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back on Alaska. There's going to be a, a conference up in Fairbanks, but they told me they're having a meeting and, and they've got room for one more. Uh, Nebraska. Are you going to the Crypticon in Lexington, Kentucky, by chance, in November? Uh, in November. Is it November? Uh, I haven't made that decision yet. I won't. I, I haven't been asked to speak there, but I've, I go to these things as spectators as well. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to be there. We'd love to like, have you come show up and uh, sit down and talk to us some more because I know yeah, we've got like a, lot, a lot going on and a lot more to talk about and tell us. Just too much to I'm put together with, in one uh, episode. Yeah, right? I'm working with a producer and a writer in Florida. We're talking about possibility of doing a series or a, a mini-series. Uh, they just, wow, sent me some, cool. just sent me some paperwork on it. Um, and then uh, Doug Hadjasek, who 
wrote uh, and produced Monster Quest, mm-hmm. one of my favorites, as, as well as uh, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science is coming out with a second Sasquatch Legend Meets Science. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. Brian, did you see that? He's coming out with, with another. To... Yeah. How do you pronounce his last name? Hadjasek. Hadjasek. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure uh, if it was high check. I to- I've heard it, I've heard it pronounced so many ways. Yeah, H A J I C. It's a weird spelling. But, but, uh, yeah. He contacted me a couple of days ago and wants me to to be on that program with him. Awesome, so, awesome. So there's a lot yeah. on my plate as, as as well as a lot of getting out in the woods and and field research. Sure, and some yeah. of the experiments sure. I'm doing. That's kind of what I was, I was curious about too. Talk to us. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh no, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on. Right on, man. Let's do it, let's do we'll, it we'll definitely have to get you on again. Heck You've yeah, got I'm, so much I'm to share. Again. Yeah, yep, for we sure. Got a lot more to cover, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you take care until next time, and uh, we appreciate it again, and appreciate yeah, your no, service as well. You. All right, guys. All right. All right. Take care. Good Thanks. night. Take care. Hey, man. That guy has got a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of cool things going on. We could have talked to him for another two hours. For sure. Definitely. (laughs) We don't want to drag our listeners through hours and hours of the same story, obviously. But uh, But, uh, we're definitely going to try and get him back on the show for sure. Oh, absolutely. He's definitely a return guest. Yeah, for sure. Um, Really great guy, too. Just just down to earth. Yeah, super nice guy. Very believable in everything he says and, you know, military background. So it's it's really cool. Very knowledgeable. Hey, man, I wanted to say thanks to all the listeners again. We always do this once in a while. Uh, we appreciate oh, yeah. it, you guys, so much. Um, we're growing. Yeah, just Continue to grow. We, yeah. we can't say thank you enough. Right. Uh, we want to continue to put... Bottom of our hearts. Yeah. Yes. And we want to continue to put great content out for you guys, and we'll continue we do. to do that as well. So um, yeah. thank you again. And uh, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, man. We'll get out of here. Take care. Until next time. As always... See ya. See ya. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.